Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Kieran from Leicester, and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, what age were you when you first enjoyed the taste of alcohol? Okay, here comes the show, and remember, question everything. Hello everybody and welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer, Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked and we are talking everything from... Everything from Kieran from Leicester's question, what age were you when you first enjoyed the taste of alcohol? Dane, where do you stand on, uh, on that? Um, I remember the first time I tried alcohol, uh, I was at a wedding with my parents. I think I was being quite hyper and my mum mm. gave me something called a snowball to try, which is like a cherry liqueur. Oh, um, yeah. And uh, I remember enjoying it and then going straight to sleep. And I feel like I enjoyed the sugar more than the alcohol. And I think that's um, been a large part of what's crafted my uh, alcohol, uh, my palate where alcohol is concerned. So I'm very much into like cocktails and very sweet drinks or drinks with mixers and stuff as a result of that and that that can come from me because and I also tried beer for the first time when I was 17 a pint of beer and I felt very mm. bloated I felt very bloated I couldn't finish it and yeah, uh, yeah it's, and what about yourself? In, well interestingly I would say it took many 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 years for me to enjoy alcohol and um, the, the, the discovery of the drink uh, whiskey and ginger uh, around my mid 20s probably the first time I really really went oh well, oh good choice yeah good choice yeah, good yeah. choice what, what ginger but, ale do you normally go for? Uh, the one that they give me. I don't know. Oh, no, no. I, <laughs> I, don't know. I think the first time I had a whiskey spicy ginger... Spicy one, isn't there? There's a yeah. spicy one. Well, the first whiskey ginger I had was with a can of the dry. And again, it's like, that's the one I, that's the one I definitely go for. If, if, oh, if yeah. You, there you go. Yeah, if you can, try, if you can choose a good one, can of the dry, uh, yeah, to chase your Grand Marnier. No, I try to have um, a more sophisticated palate these days. But suffice to say, on this podcast, we ask and answer all the questions. Absolutely. Uh, ask all the questions. Uh, no question is too small or too stupid. And if you do enjoy the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode or subscribe to us on Acast, the world's largest podcast network to hear all of your questions being answered. And with that being said, on today's show, uh, today's special guest is a very much loved American stand-up comedian. He's received three nominations for the Best Show Award at the Edinburgh Festival. He won the Writers Guild Award for Comedy in 2006 for his amazing show Pride and prejudiced and niggers and has humorous humorous as humorous he has humorous as well as numerous tv credits including authoring his own bbc series songs of the south and songs of the border which i very highly recommend please welcome to the show the righteous reginald d hunter hello thank you very much it is good to be with the son of the baptiste thank you very much (laughs) (laughs) and how have you been sir how have you been uh probably better than i deserve um i was um i'm telling your boy here earlier that um he asked me if I'd gone crazy during the lockdown, and I hadn't yet. 
um, people close to me, uh, I let them go first. But uh, my time coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, our, all our times are coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Great. I mean, you how 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 else can you enjoy the state of sanity if you don't, you know, border on insanity? I think. Yeah, and you know, I do think that uh, for better or worse. A, a, a consequence or benefit of the, of the virus is it sent the whole world to its room to think about itself and what it's been doing. That that mm. is the best and most concise way <laughs> I've I've heard it explained because I've I've had this very verbose narrative about now it's the juxtaposition of nature and capitalism mm-hmm. and human beings having to you know observe the quantum of solace. But yeah, they had to go to their room and think about who they are and <laughs> and the the. Uh, Socio-political and global uh, implications of that have been—they've 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 been, uh, been, been enormous. I'd say, in positive in many ways, and positive in many ways. I think uh, there's a lot of elements of human society we've been forced to confront that we wouldn't normally do within our normal uh, daily uh, capitalist pursuits in a rat race. So, yeah. But you said it much better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> they say that uh, all human beings really need is time to think. It's the reason why you know, like. Guys can leave like the ghetto and go to prison and come back philosophers because <laughs> they had time absolutely. To you go you go to prison as a you go to prison as a burglar and you come out as a Malcolm X as a guru so, or something. You know, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's it's such a good point because there's a rapper called Raskas as well, and he'd said um, his biggest fan base are convicts and college kids, mm. and two of the things that they have in common is it's, it's cohabitation mm. and a lot of time by yourself mm. in rooms where you have a lot of time to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it takes responsibility for your own education. Oh, wow, that's very interesting. Do we think the world's been doing enough doing enough thinking? I'm not sure if everything everyone's trying to distract themselves as much as they can, right? Well, I mean, you know, you can dis- you can distract yourself for like two or three hours, maybe a day. But, you know, 22, 25, 30 weeks in lockdown, can't distract you. At some point, you're going to have to look at yourself. Yeah. <laughs> which is the same, which is the same, which is the same as being on lockdown. You know, you can maintain your bravado and your rage, which fuels your criminality. And I'm not judging criminality is an ambivalent term in this instance. But like you said, <laughs> normally, normally, normally when somebody goes to their room, look at danger. It's kind of like, yeah. Criminals. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I, I think, I think <laughs> Sorry, criminal, criminality is, that's, it's, 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 it's by your, def- but I say that because it's the definition of legality, because there are some places where, what I may do may be considered criminality as well. Mm. Sometimes speaking against your government is considered criminal. So yeah. I say that because it, I feel like, like you said, because people are in their proverbial room, sometimes you may have distractions which uh, allow you to kind of, yeah, stave off doing that introspection and studying yourself. So I think you're right. Mm. A few weeks you can kind of, you can ignore it, but if you're there long enough, you'll yeah, you'll have to have a conversation with yourself. So my mom, my mom, my mom used to say, you can get away with the thing. You can pat yourself on the back for getting away with the thing. Your friends can pat you on the back for getting away with the thing. But there's coming a time when you're laying in the bed and you can't sleep or you're sitting on the toilet way longer than you need to because deep down, you know what you fucking did. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Hunter, it sounds like your mother gave one of the best uh, analogies for white supremacy I've heard. (laughs) And and manifest destiny. (laughs) Very, very aptly put. It's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane, as the format of this show dictates? Absolutely. Mr. Reginald D. Hunter, we are humbled and flattered by your presence. And uh, as our esteemed guest, uh, Howard and I invite you to ask our first question, which we'd like to discuss for 15 minutes some change. Howard will then ask a question and we'll do the same. And then lather, rinse, repeat. I will ask the last question. And then we hopefully we go on to have happy, fulfilled lives uh, full of positive interactions and the exchange of positive energies. I'm with it. Cool. 
Well, the floor is yours, sir, to ask the next question. What historical person from the past, uh, dead, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> if you had to expand, if you had to share an extended lockdown with, who would you choose? Oh, what inspired this question? <laughs> I've been, I've been thinking about Dame Baptiste all week, man. <laughs> he told me I was going to be on this. He told me what he do. So I said all week. <laughs> Great it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you, you know, there, there would be uh, all sorts of variables to that. Like if, the, if you know, if they're in lockdown in your house now and they're from like the, the 15th, 16th century, they're just going to be amazed by yeah. everything, aren't they? Like fridges, <laughs> yeah. fridges are going to blow their mind, right? Yeah, initially, yeah, they'd, they'd be, their mind be blown. There, there, are, there are so many people, and I guess I, I have to think about the benefit of uh, if the I guess they want it to be a, yeah, a benefit of, of uh, that coupling at the end of the lockdown, I suppose. I mean, there's so many people. Do you, do you have an idea of who you, you would definitely go for, Reginald, yourself? I mean, it's probably several people, but off the top of my head, Marlon Brando. But yeah. That's oh, a good one. That's a good one. Go on, that's a great one. Go on. That's a really good one. What do we... <laughs> Talk us through that week of, uh, of lockdown. <laughs> well, I recognize I'll probably have to do most of the cooking and cleaning, but that's okay. He Brando. I think he likes to eat. He likes to eat too. So it'd be at least be, there'll be fun sessions, oh, right? You don't oh, have to like hold uh, back. You're referring to what I call his ice cream years. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't really so much with the acting so much. He was with the, he, uh, oh, okay, he, he admittedly yeah, was uh, into consuming gross amounts of ice cream. It was the, the ice cream mm, years. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I like the ice cream years. So why has no one done that biopic? Marlon Brando, the ice cream years. <laughs> but um, um, he marched next to King when it was real, like before mm. it became a cause celeb. Before, I mean, he marched next to King through Mississippi. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, there you go. I mean, and, there you go. He was still a list then when he did it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, and then you know, to get awarded the Oscar for the Godfather, and to send a little Indian girl with a note to say basically "fuck you" to the Academy, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then yeah. and then now he's back on the A list. He's back on the A-list. Like, he had to audition for The Godfather. But he won the Oscar, and he's back on the A-list, and he got his choice of any project in Hollywood. And then he says, fuck you again. I'm going to Paris to make, make Last Tango. See y'all later. Just... That's how it's done. That's how it's done. Yeah, no, I get that. I'm gonna I go, get that. That's, uh... I'm going to go fuck this French chick with some butter. So, yeah. <laughs> well, the, exactly. Oh, there you go. And let's not forget. Let's not forget. Like you know, potentially, according allegedly, according to Quincy Jones, he also had a brief tryst with Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor. You know what, man? <laughs> how how many weeks would it be before you were like, how can I put this, Marlon? Um, so according to a GQ article, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm not gay, but if I was with Marlon and I, I'd be like, you sure you need this, Mister Brando? All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, lockdown is lockdown, okay? Lockdown is lockdown. <laughs> you lo- what you happens lock- in lockdown? I'm telling you, you locked up. The rules change. I'm I'm not here to judge. I'm merely to observe. That's my job. What dude said that TV series Atlanta? There's a difference between gay and jail gay. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. I believe that. I believe that. 
I actually believe that. I wholeheartedly believe that. I think, I think, and it's like, there's, and there's, there's, you know, there's like a Kelvin scale to measure how gay you are. Oh, I, uh, I, I believe that's the term. So there's a, there's a, te- because it's, it's like based on the idea that there's, there's no real rigid binary ideas about sexuality. Oh, yeah. So which is why you'll have like, you know, uh, obviously people will discuss like, I guess, homosexual in terms of being gay or a lesbian, but in between that, obviously some people will be referred to as pansexual. But as in, I think on this scale, like prison gay is like a distinct type, as is, uh, cruise ship gay, uh, yeah, and navy gay. There's like navy, <laughs> navy gay. Mm-hmm. There's also like post traumatic gay. Like I've there's a and again. This is me just a blithering from someone who's been by himself in his flat uh, to the listeners <laughs> that you know some there are experiences. Particularly- yes, this is how the man has been measuring the levels of gayness. No, any serious? No, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my this is not. Yeah, this is not reading. This, this is not readings from my gay dog. I was talking to my uh, my niece about this, and uh, I was explaining to her. There's a difference between being bisexual, which is someone who is basically multilingual in the language of sex, mm-hmm. as opposed to somebody mm-hmm. who's not really particular about what hole they use. Yeah, there is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I completely agree with that. Again, more succinctly put than I could. And I, and I think it's also a phenomenon I've noticed where it's like, uh, particularly for young women, where statistically uh, up to 90% of women experience some form of sexual trauma before they're 19. Mm-hmm. In some instances, some some women may observe, you know, some kind of sexual trauma, physical trauma, mm-hmm. which uh, can lead to the, well, while they may still have the need for intimacy and for an emotional and physical connection with somebody, because they have now a learned fear of men and their sexual proclivity, mm-hmm. they find themselves safer being around other women. Mm-hmm. So Eileen I, I, Warners, for example, who was in the film Monster with Shirley Theron. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so she'd be suffered a lot of uh, sexual violence at the hands of men and uh, also was a sex worker. So if someone like that said to me, yeah, I don't want to be in share a bed with a fucking man, there's, I could understand why that is in terms yeah. of nature versus nurture. It was, the, it, was, uh, it, was, so. it was the murder part of her case that got her in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. That was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've got Marlon Brando. Uh, Dane, I've, got, I've picked mine. I've got mine worked out. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, I would... I would point out, though, uh, that whoever it is, after a while, I don't care who you are, you're probably going to piss me off a bit. Um, but I think Leonardo da Vinci um, was a multifaceted individual, uh, highly you know, thoughtful uh, and insightful about the world. And if you're looking for someone to pass the time with, I imagine he's pretty good with the chat, you know, uh, and uh, probably... You know, come up with some innovative ways to spend our time together. See, so, I mean, I'm not um, putting your choice down, but um, but it just seemed like he he, he wanted them cats that if you met him, he may not like you. Like he, <laughs> like, like, like 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 Brando, Brando wanted them cats. Well, if you're the only cat around, he'll make the best. He'll he'll make do. But um, Leonardo yeah. don't strike me as that kind of cat. He'll just be like, look. <laughs> I don't think about the things yeah. you think about. I don't want to talk about the shit you want to talk about. Stay over there, okay? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'd be like, it'd just be like <laughs> keep, keep out, keep out, keep out, written in Latin on like the front of his door. <laughs> and how we're taking, how we're taking weeks to decide for the code, and it's like, oh, go fuck yourself. Oh, real mature, Leonardo. Real mature. <laughs> fuck you and your codex. I, you. <laughs> I, I like to think I'd be able. 
I would to, uh, you know, stimulate him uh, in, you know, my own particular way. And um, we'd have stuff to do. He'd certainly have stuff to talk about. I'm yeah, a talker, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah. So I'm looking for a talker, really. And I think he's got uh, a few things to to chuck into the conversation topics. Um, so, yeah, that's a slightly different to Marlon Brando, who would be a lot more fun. I mean, there'd be some great nights with Marlon Brando, <laughs> but I, I think I'd try and go, I'd go down a cerebral route for the for the purposes of self-development, which maybe is not the right idea, actually. Yeah, but you I know... Mean, may, may, may not be your choice. We don't know how Leonardo da Vinci gets down. You know, he, he, no. his, his aesthetic would suggest he's very comfortable with uh, the female and male form mm-hmm. and those uh, yeah. intersecting, so... Mm-hmm. He might be fascinated if you've been in one of those flying machines and you could tell him yeah, about that yeah. experience and just and just yeah, yeah it's kind of well, but you know if if, if i wanted a, a simpler alternative i would have picked Jimi hendrix because uh if we've got a guitar i could probably listen to him kind of write some new stuff for quite a long time so that would be uh, a simpler and alternative. what do i know i mean my brando experience may not be all that it might just be a lot of mr brando i'm not putting my hand on your penis it's my birthday <laughs> Dane, where do you where do you land on this one, Dane? Oh, what you, it's, who have you been thinking about? It's, it's a very hard one to shortlist, and I'm wondering if I should go, uh, uh, like I said, cerebral, or maybe uh, political, or maybe even uh, spiritual. So, hmm. I'd say, with that being said, I think you guys are kind of covered. Uh, very similar angles than I would have gone for. So, you know, I'd, I would say uh, my great-grandmother because oh. I hadn't met her and I think given... And I've only got some stories from my mother. One of the stories I've gotten is um, my uh, great-grandmother had kind of articulated or alluded to with my mum. Because, I mean, that's like at least it's probably safe to say that either her mother or her great, her grandmother would have been a slave. And she has alluded to one of the practice of uh, women that were in chattel slavery of either using deliberate uh, starvation or more cruder methods to give themselves abortions. So their children would be born into bondage. And uh, that's, it's, and it's just one of the stories. And it's kind of, it's almost the kind of thing that you now see described by like Margaret Atwood in the handmaid's tale. But for me, like, I find the whole thing kind of fascinating. And I really was, you know, because she is the matriarch of my family, the, the, the furthest back that um, people have a reference point for, I'd really just like to pick her brain and just hear about, you know, who she was and what the world was like when she was around and what her plans or her hopes were for a family, because that's the womb from which we all sprang forth. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to kind of understand what it was like for her, you know, because that's like the, the matriarch and... Wow. Yeah, I just, I, I'd be interested. Man. Yeah, so it'd be either her or, or Dick Gregory. Well, with your first one. <laughs> it'd, be, yeah. it'd be terrible if it turned out she didn't like you. <laughs> Listen, I mean, right? It would be. It would, ter- it would be terrible. But you know what? It, it's, would, at some point, I need to know, Reginald, and I'd rather find out now than in the afterlife because an eternity of, of, uh, of uh, I guess, not being liked by a great grandmother would be a lot more awkward. Like if you get to like the other place and everyone's like, yay! And then she's like, oh, gosh. Do I have have any other successors? Uh, Him? Why him first, Lord? So, yeah. It'd be good to find out what she's into. Dick Gregory. Uh, Or maybe Dick Gregory. Yeah, Dick Gregory, man. I I, I kind of, I only discovered Dick Gregory. I I discovered Dick Gregory when I started performing in stand-up comedy. I was uh, 
you know, I was trying to do my research, which is always a very effective procrastination technique. So I was trying to do like my, uh, I guess my comedic forefathers. <laughs> and uh, yeah, sitting at, sitting at the top of that pyramid was uh, De Gregory. I think I believe he's the first African-American comic to perform on television on a Hugh Hefner's Playboy Hour. Um, he too marched with Martin Luther King at the height um, and uh, was one of the first uh, creatives and celebrities to leverage their platform for positive change. And uh, was and also was one of the first people I had ever heard of who was being outspoken about a uh, vegan slash raw fruit and veg diet, which a lot of uh, people get credit for nowadays. But he was kind of talking about this very very early on. Also, he ran as a presidential candidate as well. He way ran before for president. Did it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So he before way before candidate <laughs> as well. So you know, nothing in the world is under under the sun is original. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he's just had a very lasting and positive effect on my life. And I think he is a. Uh, I can say, you know, in many ways I'm here because he was there and uh, his uh, his autobiography was called Nigger. And um, in the conversation about it, he had, uh, again, very spoken about censorship and was kind of like, by you reducing it to the N-word or removing that word from our vernacular, you couldn't do that in terms of like, you wouldn't refer to a Nazi as the N-word because by doing that, you are giving the privilege of censorship. And yeah, and, and in many ways, I believe it, he's he's basically saying, you removing that word you are robbing us of what we've been able to do is reclaim it. And also the sentiment behind it isn't changed just because you've taken the word away. Mm. So again, it's like, I feel like he was very ahead of his time in terms of that conversation because, uh, you know, he was always very blunt and very open about his uh, analysis on race relations in the US. And I think some of the conversations that are being had now on a global scale he was uh, began some of those, so I'd, yeah. I remember, and also I feel like cooking, cooking for him would be much easier than Marlon Brando because he's like into a raw fruit and veg diet, and so <laughs> the spread would be pretty easy to put together. <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, uh, I, I listened to one of his albums. I remember Dick Gregory was, and this is like 1967. He says, "Say what you want about atheists." You never turn on the TV and watch the news and see a bunch of them rioting anywhere. It's stuff like that, which I'm like, you know, so, so ahead of his time. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely want to hear how his mind works. I'm going very close to speaking to him before he passed as well. I uh, had the opportunity to open for Eddie Griffin in Antwerp. And uh, yeah, he, he had him on the phone, but yeah, it was pretty late. So I didn't get to speak to him. But yeah. For oh, me, man. it would definitely be forbidden to speak oh, to him. Man. I, I know. You know, I, I followed him quite closely um, maybe the last 10 years of his life. Um, I read and I, I looked at anything he came out with. And I just, I saw what a possible way of being an old man in that. Um, you, you know those times that he would lose his temper? And, yes. And it's, yeah, yeah. And it's just, and, I, and I, I get it. I get it. Just when you get to a point when it's like, no, motherfucker, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it, son. I love it, yeah. Exactly. And, exactly. No, that's a great way to grow. That's a good point, yeah. I mean, to get to the point where you're constantly talking to people who are talking to you about events that you were present at and they weren't there. And so there, yeah. were, there are lots of references. There are lots of things like... Um, I used to really love this Alan Parker movie called Mississippi Burning. And I know it, I know it very well. And watched it very, very young. <laughs> and when it came out on video, I, I, I bought a copy and I wanted to show my mom and dad and everybody around. Just and within twenty minutes, mom and mom and dad was like, "You hungry? Yeah, let's get something to eat." 
And I was like, what? 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 <laughs> yeah. And then my my mom leaned over and she said, baby, I know what you're trying to do. And this is a nice little movie. But we were there. And we remember that the FBI had to be dragged kicking and scream, screaming into this. They didn't come in all self-righteous and we just wanted to do the right thing. Those two Jewish boys was involved mm-hmm. and their parents were wealthy. That's why the FBI was involved. <laughs> and it's like, oh, <laughs> I didn't see that. I don't go. remember seeing that in the movie. <laughs> yeah. So it's so well put. It's so it's a very similar. I had a very similar experience where I was like, I observed it, and then I was like, I want to relate this to my parents. But then, like I said, when I did the chronology, I was like, Well, you were kind of teenagers when this shit was going on, so you probably don't need me to, you know, give you the existential dread of thinking your children are experiencing something ever since, similar. I tell you what. Ever, ever since ninety one, ever since the first Iraq War, um, when we attacked Iraq, my parents had a bored expression with all the subsequent wars and stuff, and it's like. Oh shit! It's just a replay of Vietnam for y'all. <laughs> You've yeah. seen this before, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, oh. they, exactly, and exactly. It's so it's so interesting you say that because I watched a documentary on the Vietnam War just before. Uh, I think I watched it just before um, lockdown, and then George Floyd, and and you know, I think for people who find it very hard to understand why you uh, have people who, even with the glaring evidence in their face, even with the humanitarian cost of regressive ideology, people that still adhere to that, it's like, yeah, there were people in Vietnam who were fine with the draft. And there were people who, during Vietnam, they were innocent, when black and white, like a young white student was shot by the National Guard during a peaceful protest. So yeah, they, it's it's been there before. And, you know, those people and, and some of the ideology which mm. uh, was in support of Nixon and in support of the war and in support of conservatism at the time, those people have gone on to reproduce themselves. So why are we surprised we are where we are? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember one time, um, this is like maybe eight years ago, I went home to visit my dad and I was on the phone and I was in, the, I was, you know, calling people, I was getting closure for some things and just saying, I'm sorry for others and making sure me and you straight. And so I hang up the phone and my dad walks in the room and he says, what you doing on the phone so much? I'm sorry. And let's talk about this. And I said, I'm just mending fences, dad. And he goes, mm-hmm. well, remember, that's what Kennedy was doing in Texas. Mm. <laughs> 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 I see. I, I've, I've, I've now observed just by hearing your parents, how you're able to make points so succinct. <laughs> yeah. I see you get, you get that, that, uh, the conciseness from <laughs> that's cool. um, the, 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 that question uh, was such a brilliant question, Reg. And, 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 and we've, we've kind of veered into territory that is going to, uh, I'm kind of going to be talking about in my question with you guys, so I'm going to I'm going to move over to that. Do and that's it. cool with you. Do you it. But but my question, um, you know, is is kind of quite current, based upon you know some of the uh, tumultuous era we're living in in uh, in America, and um, I don't know if our listeners know uh, which state uh, in America you originate from, Reg. But uh, do you mind I'm telling from Georgia. them? Georgia. Uh, and any listener who's been following the uh, uh, American election, uh, the never-ending American election, uh, would know that uh, Georgia has turned blue. And uh, my question to you and Dane is, is uh, Georgia turning blue the sign of things to come in the South? Um, so my short answer would be, is Georgia turned blue or do we have to thank Stacey Abrams for mobilising Atlanta and for doing prison reform of 0.8 million people in order for them to be eligible to vote. 
uh, I'd say if we're talking about like Atlanta, maybe, uh, then I'd say yes. But then I am not as aware of the uh, demographics of Georgia as a state as I'd like to think. I do know it's the birthplace of Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, and there's definitely have to be some uh, social implications of that as well. But I would say short answer, not necessarily. I think the, this, the way this uh, election appeared to have worked is that it was more of a function of people that were a lot more uh, indifferent about the outcomes of the last four years. Um, they realised how crucial it was to participate in elections this time, whether it was for or against uh, the current administration. And um, yeah, I think there's probably there's probably been some change, but whether that's all particularly one sided, not so much. So mm. I don't know. I, I what do you reckon? What do you reckon, um, Rage? I'm in a real sort of. Uh, discombobulated place about what I believe about polls now and um, blue and red. Um, I know that Georgia has been not a wealthy state for a long time. And I, I believe, I believe Georgia has been blue longer than it's been indicated. Um, I think if, if neoliberals in the democratic party don't have their way, then Georgia has a chance to stay blue for a while. Can you expand on that for us? Just cause our listeners may not understand exactly what you're oh, um, um, kind of. Well, over here, um, there's a difference, I think, between labor and new labor. And new labor is um, very much like Tories. <laughs> um, yes. so neo- uh, purple labor. Yes. Purple labor. Um, <laughs> um, neoliberals, um, they sound like Democrats, but they're not progressive Democrats. So um, progressive Democrats believe in Medicare for all. Um, it believes in a reduction of um, uh, military spending. Um uh neoliberals um the only difference between neoliberals and republicans are abor- is, is abortion and and that's it they 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 believe in corporate sponsor- sponsorship for everything um they don't believe in a national health care system um it's and and so uh joe biden is a neoliberal and so is kamala harris mm. and so it's like this is a i mean I'm glad Trump is out, but this is really a win for moderate Republicans. Yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, I think I think anyone who is uh, right of centre is probably enjoying a lot more uh, political prosperity at the moment. And I think, yeah, it's a very good way of defining uh, liberalism or neoliberalism in terms of the fact that, uh, yeah, they, the, the only real difference might might be abortion, really. And then, even then, if abortion is they don't want the, the abortion that they're fine with being pro-choice, but they don't want that subsidized by the government. So how big of a difference is there really? I mean, socially, the best thing that neoliberals seem to be good at is identity politics because they play them all the time. Um, yeah. But, but um, and so as far as any major reform um, of the social system or the economic structure, um, I mean, it almost angers me when they call Martin Luther King's name. How fucking dare you? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this is, this is, this is the thing, Reginald. It, it's, I, I, it's always a very frustrating phenomenon when people try to contextualize uh, a lot of uh, all, all of the leaders or ideologues of that era, whether it's Martin Luther King or Malcolm or like, you know, even uh, your Medgar Evans et al. None of these people um, sat on any any either side of the bipartisan political um, structure. It was more about obviously empowering for people alone. I'd say, I'd argue, 
as they arrived at the end of their lives, more of a humanist, quasi-socialist narrative, particularly in the case of Martin Luther King and his speech about integrating his people into a burning house and being killed on an anti-poverty rally, which people don't tend to know. Um, (laughs) And even the fact that uh, Coretta Scott King um, mobilised the LGBT and allowed for them to enjoy the same civil rights uh, as the act was signed. Um, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. But yeah, it's, um, do, you, do you think this is a sentiment that's shared by... Is, and Stacey Abrams is the governor now of Georgia, right? Or the senator? <laughs> <laughs> my sister, I, I mean, slightly unrelated, but my sister... Um, for the last 45 years, has been a member uh, of King's Church, Ebenezer Church. Um, she sings in the choir and she constantly bitches about how much people want to come there and do documentaries and film and it messes up parking and stuff like that. <laughs> so I was um, it was in the news one day uh, that the King King children were um, in court again fighting over his estate. And this has been going on for like 15 years. And so I asked yeah. my sister, I said, so what's up with King's children? I was like, they have different views about how his, um, his estate should be, you know, administered. And my sister, she was, she was folding some clothes and she said, the old people at church, this is what they say about the King children. Martin Luther King's children need to get a fucking job. <laughs> I just, I, part of the reason i was part of the reason i was asking this question uh it's just because when you i don't know how closely you followed uh every election result in every state but like kind of seeing texas kind of n- not be far off 50 50 was pretty shocking right that doesn't feel like the 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 international perception of the south of america is uh, uh, not to imagine a democratic Texas, right? But it looks like we're heading that way. Man. <laughs> I mean, every time somebody brings up Texas, and I'm sorry, and I and I love Texas. Mm-hmm. Every time somebody brings up Texas, I always remember that Texas has been trying to leave the union ever since it's been in the union. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Texas wants out. And, 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 yeah. and even to this day, Texas is still waiting for the right moment to say, see you, America. <laughs> they, 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 went out. They, 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 came, they came close with the credit crunch, right? Because it's part, that's federal law. If, if the state goes bankrupt, then they can secede. Because they say it's one of the reasons why you've had the uh, decriminalization of marijuana in like Colorado and Utah, because these states were going broke. And so, yeah, that doesn't surprise me that Texas, they well, are I mean, definitely I mean, law unto themselves. I mean, 20 years ago, 
Um, most states in America didn't have a lottery, uh, but most states have a lottery now because and, and, gambling was illegal, but it's legal now. Georgia has its own lottery. I remember 20 years ago, my father and his friends, they had to drive to Florida if they wanted to play the lottery. You always have to remember, and remember that in America, commerce is greater than the law. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. This is, and this is what I want all of my uh, creative and uh, celebrity friends to understand, that if you get locked up or you are apprehended by law enforcement, the question is, are you more profitable to them outside or inside? It's really nothing to do with the moral uh, moral question. <laughs> are you more valuable to them outside or inside? Does it make more sense for them to you to post 10% of the bail money? Or do you make more money for them being uh, an indentured servant in the penal industrial complex? So you think about that, guys. Um, on the side question of that, because I, I wanted to ask a question as well, because as a funny original, do you know, I think most people in the UK, particularly the diaspora based here, uh, due to uh, mainstream media suggestion, particularly with uh, music, I think it's almost seen as if the the African-American population is much higher in northern states than in southern states, mm. when in fact the opposite is true. Mm. Because and, that, and, I, and that's because I think for a long time, the aesthetic of hip-hop reflected two coasts, mm-hmm. uh, the east and the west, and because of the uh, plethora of arts that came out of there, mm-hmm. a lot of us were led to believe, probably up until like, yeah, the turn of the century, that um, this had the largest, you had the largest concentration of black people in like, you know, the state of New York or California, but what what uh, became more apparent is because so many Southern artists, for example, literally would sell music at the back of their cars, was that there is a much bigger uh, population and potential voting caucus in Southern states. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's why it's it's interesting um, well, that normally, yeah, we, we would look at the North to kind of hear like narratives about the uh, African-American journey. When Well, I mean, I mean, to put it bluntly, in America, our best white people and our best Jewish people have consistently been in New York or Los Angeles, Chicago, those areas. So, um, uh, our best black people or our black, our black people, how do I put this? Um, <laughs> my sister, you can use, you can use W, you want to use W E B Du Bois, uh, talented 10th, uh, rhetoric. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I love Dr. Du Bois, but I, no, I <laughs> oh, no, me too. Me too. Me too. But, but um, no, no. Nah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, my sister used to say, uh, how she put it? She used to say, um, very rarely do black people go where they're not other black people. She mm. said it's very she says we're very tribal. So it's very unusual for us to go some great distance to live where they're not other black people or at least some cousins. She says she says, but white people, she said they can look at a brochure of a place that they've never heard of. And they say, I'm moving there next year. And you say, but you don't know nobody there. And they'll say, that's the point. <laughs> yeah. and, <laughs> and so, um, and so, yes, um, jazz music, for instance, blues, when it made its way to New York, uh, all the people um, who mostly appropriated those music, that music were white and Jewish people. Um, and and so th- when you are in a media center that can distribute and, and disseminate um, um, mass media worldwide, then you are in charge of the narrative. So. Absolutely. So, it's, it's, such a, it's such a big part of the uh, shaping of uh, perception, particularly in America, that, you know, I, people take just a media point is that people definitely take it for granted that, you know, our understanding of America's social fabric is largely based on things as as, 
as you as in as, well you think would be insignificant something like music but really i think most people particularly when they don't have an, a, a large contingent of the diaspora as you say like in japan and stuff you're going they they all base their understanding of African Americans in on what they hear in music and occasionally see in mainstream media. I remember I remember twenty years ago when Karen Wheeler, who um she was a part of Soul to Soul. Yeah. Um, twenty years ago, she came out with her solo album and it was called UK Black. And uh, us people, us black folks in Georgia, you know, like we we got the album, we was like, shit, we ain't never put them words in the same sentence. Absolutely. No, no, it's, 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 um, Jeannie, Jeannie Ashray said the same thing as well, is that a large part of her, uh, uh, her sets was trying to explain to, uh, African Americans that she is not an Aborigine. She is a, a black Britain. <laughs> um, well, it was um, it was really great to, to, to hear your thoughts on that question and that, and that area, because I think the whole world's been obsessing about what happened in America over the last couple of oh, weeks. Oh, yes, and, that's, um, that's, I, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to uh, also punctuate the statement by, by saying, in my opinion, that I find it very strange that uh, nobody on the bipartisan political spectrum ever really discusses their intentions for uh, relations with uh, Indigenous Americans. There's no problem on this earth between human beings that can't be solved with just 15 minutes of honest, considered conversation. Honestly, I mean, I mean that between marriages. I mean, Israel, Palestine. I mean, honestly, uh-huh. 15 minutes of honest, considered conversation, <laughs> problems for human beings are solved. But since we keep having the same issues for decade after decade, that means that somebody wants the issue more than the solution. Uh-huh. And, and that's what's been, and it's like, there's no reason, there's no reason why, I mean, like all the major countries in the world that America supposedly respects all have national health care systems. Like, why are we in 2020 still debating whether or not we got enough money to do that when we spend almost trillions on a defense industry? It's just insane. Well, it's, it's, it's for commercial interest. I mean, you know, a, a an AR-15 sells for a lot more than a, a respirator. <laughs> so, you know, people are heavily invested. <laughs> but see, all you have to do, all you have to do is um, have a two-month amnesty in America where, like, any gun <laughs> turned into the government, any gun, you get cash back. So if you turn in a, tw- a, a, a little piss head 22, you get 20 bucks. If you turn in an AR-15, you get three grand. And you watch. You watch. You watch. You watch. Mm. You watch America's greed suck up America's bloodlust. I, 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 a third of guns would go off the street within two months. <laughs> I, I, I mean, crackheads would break into gun owners' houses and steal guns. <laughs> yeah. So they could turn them in. I could, I could, de- I could definitely <laughs> see that. I could definitely see that. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. But mm. 15 minutes of honest, considered conversation, all this goes away. <laughs> well, we, we try and have some of that. We try and have some of that on this podcast. Absolutely. Don't we, Dane? And um, I'm glad I'm glad to have asked that question. And um, and, and throwing it over to you, Dane, for the final question. Of uh, yeah, on the show. subject of uh, division and the commercial interest in it. Uh, when I was doing my debut show in Edinburgh, here's the background for the question. Um, you know, I'd been a, a journalist had maybe somewhat slovenly compared me to yourself. Uh, because they were that I discuss <laughs> race relations in my material, and you were quoted in saying that uh, class breeds more than race in the UK. And someone had oh, um, misquoted as saying that class breeds more than race in the UK. And uh, I think with my initial um, 
uh, early, uh, I said more, I suppose, more juvenile insolence and adolescence and vanity and ego. I was kind of like, what does Reginald know? He don't even live in this country. He don't know what my parents been through. <laughs> <laughs> but then, as you say, after, fifth, after what, I think I was watching Song of the South and I had 15 minutes of uh, consideration and listening, um, it helped me to come up with a new concept. So I, because it's something that's come up before and it's come up since. And I explained to people that in this country, I think class class hierarchy is definitely does exist and is, is arguably as pronounced as racial hierarchy but i think that it combines to form a a social chauvinism which i call placism and i say that because even though you know on paper you could argue that myself uh you know where how i grew up school i went to um could be upper working or middle class myself but for people that look at me i'm still gonna have share the same aesthetic as a working class black male who grew up on an estate um and i think when I talk about class, I think when you are a immigrant or particularly a person of color, you are immediately relegated to a lower class based on your race. So I think that uh, mm. class does divide and does breed in this country. But I think for certain people with certain aesthetics, your class is determined for you without consideration of maybe your income or your uh, heritage or lineage. Um the thing that baffles Americans most about the class system over here is we struggle to understand class without money. And, yes. Yeah, I see. Completely, completely. That makes complete sense. Because this, this is, this, and, that's, and that's the thing is that um, I one of the things I'd noticed uh, was uh, and enjoyed was comics like yourself and Trevor Noah um, juxtaposing race relations in uh, your uh, uh, home nations as well as in the UK. Um, but I also noticed that um, uh, British audiences have historically been a lot more receptive to hearing accounts on race relations from from black people that aren't from the UK. And I made it a point of principle in my own material to find uh, as many ways to communicate that in a way that is nuanced to the country I grew up in uh, and also to the people that live here. So my question for you was, um, both as comic and also as African-American man, compared to the States, how both artistically and socially far do you think we are away from uh, Americans in the UK? That's a multi-layered question, it feels like. And mm. what surprises me is for you, um, a black man who's not black American, they, there's a cap, you're saying, on how expressive you can be about the black experience in terms of sounding like me. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what the, the critical class of comedy in the UK, people would tend to say, Oh, you're just doing a poor homage to African American comedians. Really? Comparisons. Yeah, very lazy comparisons to Chris Rock, you know. Particularly particularly from places like um, you know, yeah, especially particularly in Edinburgh and stuff like that as well. So for example, I, I have a bit which I talk about um uh pigeons and then talking about whales, and it's really like a subversive way of introducing the conversation about racism. Um and I had to learn <laughs> to find more surreal ways of approaching the topic because like I said. In the UK, like the racial, uh, I guess, division, uh, stratification rather than division. So the UK is broke. There are people in the UK who, if they've had to subsist on mainstream media, have had little to almost no interaction with uh, people of colour, particularly black people. Um, whereas despite America's overt uh, issues of race, racial division, white Americans are used to African-Americans being in their home, even if it's on the TV or even if it's in an album sleeve. Whereas in this country... 
there are a lot of people here who are very reluctant to acknowledge the existence of both the Black British uh, contingent and also discrimination towards said um, contingent. Wow. Um, I guess, I mean, for me, the reality of your question shows me of how much of a bubble I live in because I'm, I'm so unaware of all of that. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't say that dismissively. It's just, I know that you can't expect white people to come sit and visit you if you make white people feel accused about race. I know that. Yes. And, yes. And it, and it does not matter what vernacular you use. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, and I, and I know sometimes when British people, European people, they try to work out if I'm, if I'm from New York, as if supposed to like, that, does that make my black Americanness more authentic in some way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sounds about right. <laughs> and so, um, and you know, it, it, it's just when you run across those people, cause you know, it's, um, I run across Japanese dudes that they felt like, um, what authenticates my black Americanness was my ability to dunk a basketball. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it, <laughs> I, I I don't know what else to say other than to present yourself the way that you are with all of the contradictions that are you. Just <laughs> you are you are diaspora. You are diaspora, but you're also street. You also slang, but you're also literate. And just <laughs> just and make, and make no apologies about that. <laughs> uh-huh. I think, yeah, and I think it's it's been uh, a lot more prosperous than it had been historically, um, and that's because and that's because like I said I, I I had to learn through study and looking at people like yourself, looking at our predecessors of learning the best way. Because at the same time as well, for me, uh, as far as artistic principle, like I said, because of my predecessors like yourself or even like your Chris Rocks and Dave Chappelle's, I've seen it being done and been done very very well. So there is the potential that you can, you know be mimicking like people that you kind of look up to. But like I said, it, it, it's because it's a very, I wanted to have a very nuanced approach because I was aware that I had been through going to university and stuff. I've been opened up into a new world that I hadn't really seen. And I hadn't, and I wasn't aware of people that had no interaction with black people. And so I wanted to relay that not only to an audience, but I also wanted to make, cause I think even some black people, particularly those who get to thrive in more built up metropolises, they're not really aware of how, you know, potential like continental Africans who are now in the UK because they're foreign students and now they reside in the UK or, you know, more recent immigrants from the Caribbean and from uh, the uh, continent, as well as like, you know, I know there's a comedian I know called uh, uh, Nelson Agombokomba. He is, uh, I think he's maybe from, he's from Uganda or Malawi, but he lives in East Anglia. He lives in Norwich and, you know, Nelson's experience as a black man growing up in Norwich is going to be very different to me growing up in Southeast London. But I wanted to make sure that he doesn't feel, and, and you know, other comments like himself, like I know Jimmy James Jones, another friend of mine, he's, he's lives in Norton Keynes, he's based in Bedfordshire. I don't want my narrative to invalidate their experience because their experiences don't mirror minds and al- almost to an extent the same as America. I watched this movie. I can't remember. It was a story of, about this black English guy that grew up... Um, Supporting is it Kaz? Is it Kaz? Oh. And the guy West Ham. Uh, but it's about this black dude who grew up. I mean, he grew up essentially like a white football hooligan, and he got into yeah. all those football brawls. And it's mm-hmm. like 
It's like, and it was weird the racism that he was experiencing with the with the groups of white people he was fighting with. And it's like, I'm black, but I don't know nothing about being that kind of black. Absolutely, <laughs> exactly, and, and that's 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 the point. Exactly, is that I think it's it's. I, I think a large part of it for me was that. Uh, what's probably helped the discussion about race relations or even, I guess, relaying race relations to a larger American audience is the fact that the African-American identity is a recognized one, even though obviously, like, for example, I have family who are African-Americans technically, but they have Caribbean heritage. Uh, You'll have African-Americans who also will trace their heritage to the continent of Africa. And that kind of African-American is very different to your descendant of chattel African-America. But under the banner of being African-American, they have a united identity. Whereas black British is still, it's a, it's, it's used, but I don't think people identify with it as much as they do with African-American in the States. So I think I was always trying to create that uh, narrative whereby, as I said, a, a black person from Norwich or, or, or Liverpool or from Leicester, we would still have a mutuality in terms of experience or even, even language. It's why I have to kind of, border on using more of the Queen's English, but intersperse that with Ebonics and slang as well, because I don't want to exclude everybody. But I just want to think, like, do you, from what you've seen is like, or even from black British comics and your experience with black British comedians, do you feel like they are able to uh, articulate the black experience in the UK as you see it? Or do you, can you look at it and think, well, I, I identify with that. Or I understand it in the same way that most of us in the UK can listen to an African-American comic and be like, we recognize this uh, story. We recognize this uh, narrative. Do you find it's the same, or do you, or would, like I said, with that film, it, is there a lot of instances where you're kind of like that? That black guy is that black is different to my black. I know that for myself, um, consistently, my weirdest times on stage is when I'm playing a black American audience, a largely black American, um, because you can see it on their faces in the first five minutes. It's like he black, but not the kind I recognize, and mm. <laughs> and <laughs> and so and then plus. Um, whenever I go back to the States and I do gigs now, um, the MC always d- does this thing and I can't tell if it's cunty or not, but they'll say something <laughs> like, but they'll say something like, he is from Georgia by way of London, Reginald D. Hunter. And like the audience is like, what, yeah. what, is what does that mean? That's very different to say that, that's very different to saying that, you know, this guy has caused both the UK and the States his home and performs in both places. You know, that's guys, that's kind of like being like, you know, and now introducing this millionaire by way of inheritance. Meet our manager because his dad owns the company. And now the headliner by way of affirmative action. <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely differences. There are definitely differences, guys, aren't there? There's, there's no, there's, there's, but, but there, there, there must be some similarities to the experience, right, Dane? Yeah, it can't be. Yeah, I, I think I think there is. I, I I think I always made. I always used to try and use. Like as I said, if if what if you get what I'm doing, I always felt like I was on the right path because you know I I, I see it as being a brick in a wall. I feel like um, you know discussions about race relations and even to an extent black self determination is a big part of my. Uh, I guess a big part of my complex as a, 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 or my matrix, sorry, as a comedian, like it's in the same way that if you're, if you're a woman, it's very weird that feminist politics wouldn't feature in your narrative because, you know, having a room and people listening to you in a patriarchal society is supposed to be quite a, 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 a 
a novel uh, concept. So for me, it's kind of like, like I said, because a lot of people I watched were Americans and they described their their, their journey, I kind of be like, will this stuff translate in the States? Because like I said, UK, like, I didn't want to be like, I didn't want to be people being like, UK black, what's this? <laughs> I remember in 2007, I was in London and I was getting into a taxi and the taxi driver was this white guy. And he was really on Obama. He was like, he's like, I'm just... Uh, black man's going to be president finally. And he goes, and nobody understands injustice more than black men. And I thought, well, that's a touching sentiment, but, (laughs) 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 But, I mean, I was like, I said, brother, I mean, you might be setting yourself up for a massive way of disappointment because I mean, yes, black men understand um, injustice, but um, uh, not just because we've been on the business end of injustice, but you know, we've had our experience dealing some out too now. And so, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> and so black, black women, for example, let's <laughs> 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 not leave out the misogynoir, right? <laughs> that's not, well, I mean, you know, I was like, I don't know. I, I might be mentioning in the dangerous territory here, but, um, when I was living in the States, yeah, I, and I don't, I don't disbelieve that the misogyny goes on from black men to black women. It's just, it's just so far apart from my personal experience. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like my sister told me once. She said, "Reggie, your problem is you get mad on behalf of men for how they're treated and talked about by women, but that's because you think all men are like you." And she said, "There's some men that if they want to be your friend, they don't show you certain things." Mm-hmm. And, and I have to remember that as well. <laughs> I, I'm definitely the same. It's a that's it's a part of male privilege when you uh, the privilege of oblivion, where you're like, I would never do this to somebody. So how can it be done? I can't. My brain can't conceptualize why you would even aggress somebody like that and not expect to have your jaw cracked because of how Raymond, Raymond Raymond would never beat his girlfriend like that. He's never beaten me like that. Yeah, <laughs> if, if you know what would happen if it was me, bro. <laughs> I was I was I was visiting them six months ago, and they both seemed happy. I don't believe it. <laughs> this uh, this episode has been amazing for so many reasons. But Reg, your uh, your ability to 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 kind of. Sp- to speak so eloquently in such small amounts of words has just been a, a, a joy to witness uh, oh, and, to, and to be and to be part of. Right, Dane? It's been a it's been a real thrill. Hey, Thanks, fellas, man. let's do it again sometime. Definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely, and uh, yeah, we won't wait until next lockdown. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, and uh, I'm sure a lot of my listeners are a big fans of your work. But for those who may not have heard of you before. Where can they find uh, your uh, material and uh, find out what you're doing next? Uh, April 15th. Um, my new tour starts April 15th. Um, <laughs> uh, hopefully. Um, the white people who make money off me, um, they certainly believe we will be past this virus thing by then. My new tour is called, my, my sister's like, say, tell, them what, tell them what it's called. Um, <laughs> the new show is called Bomb Shuffler. And um, <laughs> um, so yes, um, and it's basically about the fact that I shuffle bombs. 
We'll definitely be there. Hopefully, be there to see it. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, it kicks off April fifteenth in Portsmouth. Come see us. Hopefully. And in the meantime, if you even don't come see it, just for God's sake, stay alive. Everybody, stay alive. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you too, Reg. Keep, keep stay alive, mate. Exactly. Stay alive. Great advice. Uh, great advice, guys. Stay alive. And if you make it to be alive, then uh, definitely check out uh, Reginald's show. And um, mm-hmm. Mr. Hunter, thank you again so much. This has been amazing for me, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Hey, peace. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Reginald D. Hunter. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Reginald D. Hunter. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.